If you're thinking of retiring from farming, should you consider the BPS lump sum payment? Many tenant farmers think it's a good idea. When you drill down into the results of the survey, you can see that there are secondary issues that our members will want to be thinking about. And I've details of an interesting job vacancy at an organisation whose services are in ever greater demand at the moment. You kind of need to have an affinity with people and their problems and helping people through other people. Plus agronomy, the markets and the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. We've spoken on the programme in the past about the widespread dissatisfaction amongst the horticulture sector and subsequently the potato sector about the AHDB statutory levy. Many growers have objected to the levy, feeling that value for money is just not there and that things need to change at the AHDB. And a ballot was called a few months ago. The results are now in and perhaps not surprisingly, given the apparent strength of feeling, a majority of growers have voted against the continuation of the levy, casting doubt on the future of the AHDB. HDB itself. The ballot asked levy payers, do you agree that the statutory horticulture levy should continue? Offering a simple yes or no answer. The overall voter turnout was 69% and by individual votes cast, the no vote was 61% and yes at 39%. Responding to the outcome, the NFU said the results showed that growers felt disappointed or disengaged with AHDB horticulture. The result of the ballot will now be passed on to DEFRA ministers and the devolved governments who will then make a decision on the future, but it's important to point out they are not bound by the ballot. I approached the AHDB for an interview, but no one was available. British Sugar has offered its 3,000 sugar beet growers an enhanced support package for the 21-22 campaign, following the industry facing a challenging season over the previous year. It's called Beet Package Plus. Harry Mitchell is British Sugar's Agriculture Engagement Manager. Harry, thanks very much for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Can you just talk us briefly through what is the Beat Package Plus? So first of all, we have the plus of a minimum guaranteed market link bonus. So growers are going to get ATP per adjusted tonne more um, if they're going to be on the one-year contract and 82p if they're on the three-year contract. Plus, we've got a surplus beet price, which we've announced. So currently at £15, that's going to be going up to £20.30 per adjusted tonne for the next crop year. Plus, we're also going to be putting some cash flow support in place for growers. So this is an opportunity to defer their seed invoices to campaign interest-free. So again, being able to help our growers as much as we can be able to see through um, with cash flow. Plus, we're also going to be looking at how can we be more flexible with campaigns. So those farmers, for example, who are on heavier land, they want to be able to lift Um, earlier and deliver earlier. How can we be a bit more flexible and accommodate that? So that's what Beat Package Plus is in a nutshell. And the great news is from the feedback we've had from growers just in the the last day or so has been really positive. And they're saying to us, thank you for listening to us because it's an opportunity in order to be able to really react and and, and give what the growers have been asking for. Harry, I've got to pick up on one point there. You say you've had lots of positive feedback. The NFU don't seem to have been quite so positive in their response. I've seen comments saying it's nowhere near enough. Uh, Given the profit made by British Sugar, it really isn't anywhere near what they were hoping for. Well, with regards to uh, NFU, obviously the NFU are representing the growers. When we look with regards to our particular package, we've put out a, a grower survey and we're responding 
responding to the feedback that we've had from the growers into us with regards to they're saying how can you help us be able to provide just that little bit extra in order to make that uh, contracting easier for this 21-22 crop. I think we need to remember that actually growers have already signed up for their deals of what they're going to be doing for 21-22, but we wanted to go that extra bit more in order to be able to say, how can we enhance our offer? So that's why we know we are putting it that extra ATP um, per tonne, for example, on the one-year contract and the 82p on the, on the three-year contract to be able to provide a little bit more. I also think it's really important to say, you know, we've also, at our cost, uh, within British Sugar. We've also introduced a £12 million virus yellows uh, assurance fund. So growers who uh, may be affected by virus yellows over the next three years from the 21-22 crop will have access to that £12 million fund in order to receive compensation for losses to virus yellows. Sean Sparling, before we get to your agronomy report, what's your take on what British Sugar's offering? Does the package go far enough? To be quite honest, I don't think the measures go remotely far enough from British Sugar to support growers who are putting up with disease issues where we're struggling to control disease in sugar beet because of the loss of active ingredients. We've got virus issues unlike anything we've ever witnessed before this year where yields have absolutely plummeted and it's now become a crop almost like all seed rape that we can't afford to put a crop like that in the ground or the cost of the seed the cost how expensive it is to establish the crop in the first place and then to find that as we go through the season the weather turns against us and not only do we not get decent emergence which is what we saw this year but also We have pest attack that we can do nothing about. And the price for a tonne of sugar beet at the moment is at a level which really doesn't make us happy to think about going forward growing sugar beet as a crop. The package which has been announced from British Sugar, I'm sorry, but it it really doesn't go far enough to support growers who expect and, let's be honest, deserve far more than that. Sean, I've seen comments on social media from growers saying that they will simply give up on sugar beet as a crop. And another said, this is the beginning of the end for homegrown sugar. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, I've got growers who are actively talking about cutting sugar beet out altogether because of the risks involved in growing it. And like I said earlier on, it's like the all-seed rape crop. We've cut out that crop from the rotation because we cannot guarantee the crop we spend all that money establishing and putting in the ground is going to make it through to harvest and bring us a return that is more than the cost we've incurred. And to see sugar beet going down that path, it, it is absolutely tragic. And I think every Everything that could be done should be done. Everything possible should be being done to make sure that we protect the British sugar industry. And at the moment, it really doesn't look particularly good. I have growers who are quitting the crop. They've already cut it out. People who signed one-year contract are telling me they're never going to grow it again because we cannot afford to run that sort of risk. So incredibly sad. And in answer to your question, no, I don't believe these measures go even remotely far enough to protect the sugar beet grower here in the UK and obviously that means we'll be importing sugar beet with far lower environmental production standards from all around the world and the consumer won't know uh, one bag of sugar from the next but I think I'm quite disappointed that British sugar aren't being far more supportive of the people who've supported them for so many years. Thanks, Sean. If you're a beet grower and you'd like to comment on the matter, drop me an email to farming at linksfm.co.uk and we'll have a chat. 
Now, if you're thinking of retiring, is it worth you considering the upfront lump sum payment that's being mooted in replacement for ongoing BPS payments, which are gradually being phased out over the seven-year transition period? George Dunn, Chief Exec of the TFA. You've conducted a, a survey. Tenant Farmers Association have conducted a survey recently and you published the findings, which seems to say that quite a few of your members are actually in favour of this scheme, even though it means they've got to retire. Interestingly, Steve, when you look at the, uh, the, the degree to which people are interested in the scheme, you're absolutely right. There was a very high level of interest in the scheme. But when you drill down into the results of the survey, you can see that there are secondary issues that our members will want to be uh, thinking about. So, for example, how this payment is to be taxed. So will the government give with one hand and take away with another by taxing the payment in some way? Uh, what, what is the value of the overall package? We don't yet know what that figure will be. And actually, half of the people who responded to our survey were in two minds as to whether they were ready to actually retire from agriculture. So whilst they may be interested in it, uh, they're not really sure yet that it's now the point that they want to leave uh, the industry. So there's, there's, there's other considerations as well. So it may be relevant for somebody to be thinking about who's perhaps considering retirement anyway not just as a reason to retire, just to get this payment? Yeah, Steve, because we don't think necessarily that the payment that the government is going to be able to offer is going to be sufficient for an individual to say, yeah, I'll take that money and I'll retire from farming. But it may be, the lump sum scheme may be that just additional bit that allows individuals to make that sensible decision uh, to retire. So I think on its own, it's not going to be sufficient, but as part of a portfolio of other potential payments, it could be quite powerful. And do we know at this stage whether somebody who's considering retiring and thinks, oh, yes, this makes sense, a bit of extra money from the government, but I'm going to pass the farm on to the next generation, whether they'll be allowed to do that and take the money? Yeah, it's quite likely, Steve, that we will have uh, rules and regulations around making sure that there are uh, no um, connected transactions, um, so to other family members or even to family trusts. Uh, and particularly, the government is concerned about this in respect of land that may be owner-occupied. Uh, so they will be requiring people to um, dispose of the land, either by uh, a lease or by um, selling the farm on. And I mean, we know that on a practical level, negotiating an exit from a tenancy is not uh, something that takes just a few days to do. But it appears to be a fairly short time frame from DEFRED. Yeah, this is a really key point for us, Steve. And, and we, we are envisaging that this scheme will become open for applications in 2022 and the people will have to have made their exit by 2024. And although that seems like a long period of time, as you rightly say, uh, when you're tied up in a legal tenancy agreement that you may have had for donkey's years or, or you've got time left on that agreement to run, the, the end of tenancy matters can take a considerably long uh, long period of time to, to resolve. So the sooner we have some information about this scheme, the better, because we can then begin to get our members to, to think about this. And we, we're intending to have some discussions with uh, with the CLA to see how we might, the Country Landowners Association, to see how we might uh, smooth things out for those types of negotiation which do need to go on. Many thanks for explaining that, George. Watch this space and when we have more details, we'll bring them to you. Time for our regular agronomy report from crop doctor Sean Sparling. Morning again, Sean. A wet week, but it could have been worse. Indeed, it was forecast to be worse. 
Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, a week not quite as wet as they promised it would be, but thankfully just as mild and windy as they said it would be. And with an improving forecast, you start to feel the stirrings of spring out here in the field. I've got a thrush singing his head off outside my bedroom window in the garden every morning. The rooks are starting to get the rookeries in order, so it is all about to happen. You can't help but feeling that. Mind you, we can get plenty of winter yet, so perhaps best not to get too carried away at the moment. We've been disappointed many times before I think we can all agree on that so still very very wet underfoot and out there but that standing water is starting to recede quickly from the worst bits I've had some stood on the side of the A15 for several weeks and suddenly this week it's all drained away so as I said last week it's as wet a January February start as I've had to any year since I started keeping record back in 2003 so patience will once again be the key this spring just as it is in every other spring and um, thoughts are starting to turn of course to top dressing and all seed right now with its first dose of nitrogen imminent to the first half of the two-way split if you like about 100 kilos of nitrogen at this stage but remember you need 75 to 80 kilos of so3 at this point sulfate as well too all seed rape has a requirement for sulfur and it really does respond to its application and because sulfate is a leachable thing the wet weather through the last few weeks and months will have undoubtedly moved it down through the profile so perhaps this year more than most years that sulfate will be needed to the oilseed rape crop and cereal crops alike of course but remember it takes around four to five weeks depending upon the soil conditions and the weather conditions for that sulfate to get into the oilseed rape plant itself and that sulfate needs to be in there at the onset of stem extension which usually happens sometime towards the end of March beginning of April depending upon conditions so as soon as the weather conditions allow and as travelling becomes possible over the next few days and weeks, then it's probably the next job that needs doing on the list. Wheats and barleys after that, I suppose, with 60-odd kilos of nitrogen. But again, the ground conditions, travelling conditions, they all need to be right. The NVZ rules have got to be adhered to. And soils need to be warm enough, of course, for that crop to be able to take up the nitrogen. At the moment, they have increased. They're up to 2.8 to 3.1 degrees Celsius. And anything above 4, you'll start start to see the crops begin to move so perhaps not just at this stage but who knows in a week's time or so it may well be right and as things warm and dry up the lighter soils will start to be looking at getting drilled with spring barley mind you there's still time for some varieties of winter wheat to be drilled yet and that might be worth considering when you look at the markets because three ton of late drilled winter wheat at harvest is likely to be worth quite a lot more than two and a half ton of spring barley at harvest so bear that in mind but also remember Remember, spring barley needs putting in well. You can't get a good crop of spring barley that's been mauled in the ground. It doesn't appreciate being put in badly. So many fields need leaving a while yet, I think. Um, not much difference in yields between February drilled and March drilled spring barleys anyway. So don't rush it in badly. Drill in haste, repent at leisure. Remember that. Barley does not like being mauled in. And similarly, spring beans, they don't like being put into wet condition. They don't like wet feet. So again, patience there, I reckon. Can't see much sugar beet beans being put in the ground and drilled imminently although someone's bound to get some in just to spite me in the main and it appears there's now just a 16 percent chance of us getting the go-ahead for near nicotinoid dress beet under the uh, derogation due to the weather and the forecasting system so changes to orders have been happening thick and fast
fast, I think, this week for people trying to get ahead of that curve. They don't want to change their order at the end of March and then find out they're not going to get their beet seed till May. So there's been a lot happening this week. But as I've said before, given the choice between a hard winter and a reduced dose of cruiser on the seed, I would take the cold, hard winter every time. Although, to be quite honest, with most of the rest of the EU, in fact, all of the rest of the EU beet providers and beet producers being allowed to use neonicotinoids anyway because it's only the UK beet growers who volunteered a weather trigger they've got the best of both worlds going on over there which considering you know bees rarely visit sugar beet fields let alone forage in them there's nothing flowering in a sugar beet field so they've no need to go foraging in them it's frankly a situation which should never have arisen in the first place but it is what it is the cold weather will protect our interest in sugar beet i'm absolutely sure of that just going back to spring barley if you do drill spring barley get 60 or 70 kilos of nitrogen in the seed bed as you drill or immediately after drilling and then you'll want the balance of that to go on by three or four leaves if it's for malting and you can go later than that for seed but if you are going to put spring barley in the ground 60 or 70 70 kilos of nitrogen on that crop to get it a good start so hopefully the weather's going to warm up over the next seven days or so hopefully it'll start to dry up a bit more hopefully spring will start springing even more than it is now so let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean sean sparling sparling agronomy services back same time next week on the farming program we don't tend to feature job vacancies all that often uh, but one has come up these last few days for an organization whose services have been in even greater demand this year than perhaps they have been for some time. And it's the project manager at LRSN, Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. Now, Alison Twiddy is the current job holder. Morning, Alison. Good morning. So you're retiring then? Yeah. After all this this time? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of retired once already and this was supposed to be a retirement job, but it's turned into something slightly different. I'm pleased to say it's been very rewarding and fulfilling and I've loved every minute of it. If anybody's interested in this job, and it is an unusual job, it's an unusual organisation, just give me a brief outline of what LRSN actually does, Alison. Okay, so we are a farming support charity. We are local and county-based. And we are exactly really what we say on the tin. We are a network of people who join together to support people going through very tough times in the agricultural and related industries. And this is practical support, but also emotional support, isn't it? Increasingly, a lot of the problems that people come to us are anxiety related um, from low level to you know through to very serious mental illnesses suicide ideation etc etc so it can be any of those kind of things and um, we, we can turn our hand to most things and if we don't have the skills within our volunteer or staff team we can usually turn on very um, helpful supportive organizations like solicitors land agents etc in the county who try who help to make sense of some of the more, um, shall I say, legal accounting um, kind of problems that people come to us with. What kind of person are you looking for? You kind of need to have an affinity with people and their problems and helping people through other people. So if you like that kind of thing, if that's your bag and those kind of skills or those aspirations are are what motivate you uh, and what will fulfill you 
um, then this is the job for you, really. And we know just how valued LRSN services are. Um, yeah. And it's a very, very valuable job that you as an individual, your replacement, uh, will be doing. How can somebody, if they're interested, find out more information, Alison? Yeah, we've got all the information, including a candidate pack on our website, which is on lrsn.co.uk. So on there, you'll find absolutely everything that you want to know about us and about the job and about how to apply. And um, you also will find a little video from Meryl Ward, our chair of trustees, and from me that gives a bit more of a personal uh, touch about the job. But if they will, if if anybody's really interested, my contact numbers are also on there. As is one of the trustees. You know, there's always that added question that you think, oh, I'd just like to know that, or I'd just like to know that. Um, so phone or email, and we'll be in touch. That's not a problem. Excellent. Well, I, I wish you, uh, LRSN, all the best in replacing you. I'll wish you all the best when retirement comes, but so we'll talk <laughs> you, uh, a little bit closer to, to when that happens. Uh, just give us that website one more time, Alison, would you? Okay, so it's lrsn.co.uk. Alison Twitty, outgoing project manager for LRSN. Not quite. <laughs> Not just yet. Um, but thanks ever so much for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for that. We'll no doubt speak to Alison before she retires later in the year and she can introduce us to her replacement at the LRSN. So what have the markets been doing this week? Here's Open Fields' Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. This week we've seen fluctuations in prices on futures throughout the week, which has ended unchanged in the respect of the domestic market. Spot feed wheat is still above £200 a tonne, with some carry moving forward to May and June. A large quantity of wheat was purchased pre-Christmas along with December imports for the Jan to March position, and this week we have seen mills rolling this wheat forward to later months. There is still demand for April, May and June, and the question is, is how exposed are the consumers for this time period? There is still a surplus of wheat in France, and if imports are available, this could mean a significant reduction in the carryout for the UK old crop. The difference could potentially be 750,000 tonnes instead of 1.5 million. New crop estimates are all over this year, ranging from 13 million tonnes to over 15 million tonnes. The key difference will be which side of 14 million tonnes are we going to be. If we are over 14 million tonnes of wheat in the UK, this makes us a net exporter and our feed price will be at export parity. But slightly underneath this, at 13.5, which is the most accurate figure at present, will mean high demand and only just enough supply for the season. As we have seen in the past, a tight S&D can mean high in prices. Malting barley, market interest remains subdued with old crop focused on contract execution and new crop discussions taking a back seat this week. However, there are some more positive signs emerging from the latest forecasts, pointing to a 5% reduction in the production across the EU, which will lead to a lower potential surplus over demand. This itself has seen a number of upward revisions thanks to the talks of the lockdown restrictions being eased after the UK and the EU bloc. UK molsters have started to see a small pickup in offtake demand in the last week or so, as all eyes are on next week's announcement from the Prime Minister, setting out a roadmap to lockdown lifting. For now, old crop values remain very ad hoc, and whilst new crop interest has been very limited, opportunities do still remain. So worth speaking to your open field farm business manager. In other domestic news, it was announced this week that the United Malts Grantham Malting site will be closed from March 2021, with production transferring between Witham and Arbroath in Scotland. 
Oilseed rate has seen a roller coaster week with UK domestic values touching season highs following support from cold weather snaps in Texas. Record January soybean crush numbers and a continued wet weather hampering Brazilian soybean harvest. A confluence of stories this week has helped push UK values briefly toward the 400x the farm mark, depending on location. Oil production in the US took a knock from the Brazilian production equipment and pipelines, which created a spike in crude oil values. The National Oil Seeds Processor Association in the US reported a record January soybean crush number, suggesting the USDA domestic demand may be understated. The USDA Outlook Conference is taking place over Thursday and Friday, and the trade will be looking for a steer in new crop acreages, in particular for soybeans, with estimates of an 89 million acres plus requirement to address the supply and demand imbalances that they currently have. The oil complex has seen renewed support latterly through the week as China starts to return from the week-long Lunar New Year holiday. So looking forward to prices this week, feed wheat February 202 to 204, March at 204 to 206 and May 205 to 207. November new crop feed wheat 164 to 166. Milling wheat premiums where available are currently £15. Feed barley for February is 153 to 155, March 154 to 156, and May 158 to 160. November new crop is 140 to 142. Malting premiums are currently £15 for a 185, and there are currently no premiums for a 165 nitrogen. And oilseed rate prices, as we said, very high this week. February 395 to 397. March 396 to 398, May 399 to 401, and November 353 to 355. Thanks as ever, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Plenty of rain to start the week, just a gentle breeze and highs creeping into double figures today and tomorrow. Tuesday sees the wind pick up, southerly around 20 miles per hour but gusting into the 40s. Drier but still with some light rain possible on Tuesday and Wednesday, mild with highs up to 13 or 14. And for the end of the week it looks brighter, with light and variable winds in single figures, cooler but mostly dry with a little sunshine. Next week we'll be talking with the CLA and the NFU about fly tipping and a call for a dedicated rural crime action team for Lincolnshire. And how accurate are reports about a booming dairy sector? I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a safe, positive and productive farming week.